Well, we're going to start today in John, John 13. This is the verse where we started last week, verses 34 and 35. Um, it's kind of our theme for last week and today. So let's read this together. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is Jesus' command for us, that we would be people who love. And you know who are the first people to love people? Moms. Moms are the first people to love people. Even Actually, before moms even know they're doing it, they are loving people. Providing life, nurture, and care to a little human. They got nine months on the rest of us. But moms are the first. The first to kind of unconditionally love. Mothers uniquely display God's glory in a way that the rest of us cannot. And this is by, this is by design. You could say this about every human. Every human uniquely created to display God's glory in one way or another, in a way that I may not even be capable of. But the caring, nurturing nature of a mom, all of us can point to examples of this in our life. It may not be your own mom at this moment. We all have multiple moms who are pouring in, into our life, moms who are not our birth moms, moms that we would say, this is my, a spiritual mother in my life who has poured into me, who, who has loved me. This is a way that moms glorify God. They're this pouring out of themselves into, into others. Where we're actually going this morning is in John 15. It's very similar to John, what's said in John 13. It's almost a reiteration of it, but... So we're in John 15, verse 12 to 17. This is my commandment. You see this is the same as before. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for a friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. And since I have told you everything the Father told me. See, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. Jesus is very concerned that we be people who love, that we be people who see other people as worth it and pour into them the love that has been poured out to us. It's kind of this receiving and giving effect that, that happens. Our primary, the primary way that people know who we are is by our love. It's like this bright neon sign that says, I follow Jesus. We want the no world to know who we are. You love. It, it, it cannot be missed. It cannot be mistaken. It says it it's not as if anyone could ignore this fact about you when, you when you love me. Because 
And God says it in many different ways, but the love of God is not, is not missed. Everyone, it's plain to see for the whole world. And we love with the love that Christ has given us. It's plain to see for the whole world who it is we follow. We follow Jesus. We follow someone with the source of love, Jesus. But here's where we're going this morning. If I can put it into one little tight sentence, it's this. Jesus is calling us to be people who produce fruit that remain. That produce fruit that remain. Lasting fruit by investing in or loving people. That our lives would be about other people. And in this, our efforts are not wasted. I use this word invest. I'm, I'm going to throw this word invest today a lot because I, you know, it's the word that I think that mothers are in, in conjunction with love. They're investing. They're investing into, into us as their children. They're investing in the people that they care about. It's this deep investment. I think investment is the, the perfect word of the kind of love that is on display. Because to invest is to pour resources into something for the benefit of that thing with the expectation of a later return, right? That's investment in, in the general definition of the word. But we're going to change it just a tad because in the economy of the kingdom, we're called to invest with the hope that the person we invest into will be the one that receives the return. They'll be the one that receives the return. That return is brought by God because our own reward even is handled by God. This is a little bit to dissect, but, you know, as, as God invests into us or, or loves us, who is that love for? Other people. His love for me is for me. It's so that I would benefit from that love. That I would enjoy the reward of that love or the reward of that investment. I think all parents understand this. You know, kids cost a lot. They cost a lot, right? And in, in fact, I, they just continue costing and costing and costing. And a parent who says, well, I'm doing this so that because later on I'm going to get some sort of equal reward for this from the kids. You, no. That's not, that's not how it works. The person who gets to keep the return is the person you're investing into. This is love. They get to keep the return. But we can say that with an abundance of joy because our own return is handled by God himself. See, in the world, we only put in with the hopes of getting something back. That's how the world works. I invest so that I can receive the return later. No one would invest just so that company can receive the reward and I get nothing out of it. I don't just invest in the company because I like the company. Oh, I hope they do well in life and in their future. No, that's not the way people invest their money. But this is the way we can invest our love. Because I don't have to worry about the return coming from that person. Because God himself is giving me my return. 
In fact, he gives it to me even before I start pouring into someone else. He himself is the return. This is where we're going. The way we do this investment is by loving. With the same love that we have received from Christ. Which is only obtainable as branches that are connected to the true vine. See, Jesus starts this chapter, uh, chapter 15, by talking about, he says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Then refers to us as the branches that are connected to that vine. This is an important picture that he's giving us because the branch, the life of the branch, what the branch produces is determined by the vine it is connected to. It has no ability to produce on its own. It's completely determined by the vine it is connected to. If the branch produces anything, it's because of the vine. It's because of the vine. Can I love like Jesus apart from Jesus? No. But if I'm abiding in Jesus, then what am I to do? I'm to produce fruit. I am to love like Jesus loves. This is the call on our lives. And I'm able to produce that love because he's providing us. The best investment opportunity you have is to the left or to the right of you at any given time on any given day. Because he's talking about we are to be people that produce fruit that remains. He says this is the unwasted investment. This is if you're concerned about a return being given this is where you put your time and resources, into people. We're called to be a people who are concerned about other people to the extent that we're pouring all of the love that Christ gives us, a perfect love, into other people. And understanding this is crucial to loving like Jesus because Jesus is the friend who laid down his life for a friend. He refers like, this is what a friend does. What kind of friend lays down his life for another? What kind of friend does that? It's the kind of friend that sees his friend as worth it. You may say, you ever receive a, receive a gift that you're just like, wow, like that's, a, that's a good gift. What kind of friend gives a good gift? Well, the friend that sees you and values you and sees you as worth it. You're worth this gift. I'm wanting to pour into you. I love you. I enjoy you. I want you to know this, that you are valued. This is, the, this is a friend that does this. Jesus is the friend that lays down his life for a friend. Jesus is the friend that sees people as worth the investment. And because of this, because of the example that Jesus sets for us, we are able to love well. Not skimpy, but well. You know, uh, Riley and I, we went on a little trip for our anniversary. We had a great time. The kids weren't there. It was awesome. Um, <laughs> thank you to their grandparents and family. But uh, on, on this trip, we, uh, we splurged. We ate well. And it was great. We ate well. Praise, it, praise the Lord, yeah. 
at every, at every turn, we, we were satisfied. We were like, okay, we want this, we want this, let's go. It, it, was, it was a great experience. This is the love of Christ. It's like, oh man, this is, this is the love of Jesus as I'm e- eating this nice steak. This is the love of Jesus. I am provided for well. Gone to the full extent, even above what I can, what I can handle. This is the love of Jesus. He doesn't skimp out. So when he says, hey, I need you to love like I love, what is he saying? Don't skimp out. I am not holding back when I pour into you. Why would you hold back when you're pouring into others? From the love that I've given you. Don't skimp out. You see, this following Jesus thing isn't really complicated. There's, yes, intricacies. Uh, There are nuance. Um, And yes, he's going to put you in situations that are way over your head. But at the core of it, it's this. Love like Jesus loved. Love like Jesus loves you. So we're going to break apart this passage, telling us that we're chosen, telling us to produce fruit that remains, telling us we're going to get, uh, we can ask the Father anything and and he'll give it. We're We're going to dive into this. And, you know, we're, I think, what was it, Chapters, uh, uh, chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. We read those five verses, but where we're going to stick is in verse 16. So it's John 15, verse 16. I kind of view this whole chunk as like a sandwich. Verse 16 is the meat of it. It's that yummy part, right? It says this. So the first 16, and we're splitting verse 16 into three parts. This is the first part. You didn't choose me, I chose you. You didn't choose me, I chose you. If there was a sign-up sheet, it's not how you got on the team. He came and chose you. Jesus finds you and says, I want you on my team. Come be on my team. I'm putting your name on this team. Are you ready to be on my team? You didn't choose him, he chose you. We have all been chosen and picked for this assignment to be people who invest in the people. There is no excuse. He picked you. He knows what you are and aren't capable of, and he picked you. He picked you. He knows what you like and don't like, and he picked you. He knows all of your weird quirks and tendencies, and he, he picked you. My sister is apt to remind me all the time that when I'm up here, I guess I do this a lot, or I grab this and I put my foot here, or I, Riley, and the, and the students say that I, I often, like, I guess I do this little leg shake all the time. You know, God knows all these weird little quirks about me, and he still picked me. That's right. He knows your past, and he picked you. He knows all the reasons why someone else wouldn't pick you. He knows all the reasons why you think you shouldn't be picked, and he picked you. He picked you. But he picked you not because of who you think you are, but because of who he is, which gives definition to who you are. You are his, created to give glory to the Father. And you can trust you have been chosen properly because of the one who has chosen you. There's two things I want to impact about this. He has chosen you. Two things. 
He called you to himself. He called you. And answering that call to abide in him is what qualifies you. He, Jesus, is the qualifying factor. Jesus in you is the qualifying factor of this call. So at all times, you look to him for how you are to accomplish what you have been called to. This is how being chosen works everywhere. Everywhere. My qualifications are looked over. And based on those qualifications, I'm chosen by a panel and then given an assignment based on my qualifications. And then I'm given those assignments and I'm expected to execute those assignments well because my qualifications say I'm able to execute those assignments. This is how qualification works. I say I have a task. Let me look at the people who are able to do it. I'm looking at your list of qualifications. Oh, you can do it. I'm choosing you because of your qualification here. But now Jesus chooses you, and what is your qualification? He's the qualification. Because of Christ, I am made qualified and I am a- as I am able to remain in him. As I maintain my qualification, which is Christ Jesus, I have all I need to complete this task. So he says, remain in me. Now this is odd. This seems a little odd to us. Because the definition of who you are is being rewritten. Or rather, is being replaced by the actual definition of who you are as the transformative work of Christ takes place in your life. Does that make sense? Let me say it again. The actual definition of who you are is coming about in your life as Christ works in your life. There is a definition of who you are. The majority of the time, that definition does not line up with who you think you are. Because this definition relies on Christ. The definition I may have in my own head, which is rooted in my flesh, that definition relies on my own perspective of myself. The oddity is in that I no longer rely on myself, but on God for ability, which isn't outside of me because Christ is in me. So as I abide in him, I am made able. This is kind of like a weird little thing that takes place. No longer am I qualified based on my fleshly qualifications, but now I'm qualified based on who Christ is in me as I remain in him. You ever have someone choose you to do something, you're like, I don't really know how to do that, and then they're like, ah, it's okay, I'll walk you through it. They're relying on their own ability for you to be able to get the job done. It's kind of like that. Number two, we're unpacking about this being chosen. There is an overflowing of joy in faithful obedience. There's an overflowing of joy in faithful obedience. So he has chosen you, and you may think, oh man, I gotta go do this now. That's not how we have to react to it. That's not how we have to react to it. We don't have to react reluctantly, but eagerly to the task that is before us. Look what it says just a few verses earlier in John. John 15, 9 through 11, it says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. 
And when you obey my commands, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments to remain in his love. So he's kind of giving, see the same thing that you're going through, I'm going through. This chosen and now I'm doing and there's tasks before me and I'm seeing to those tasks. And by seeing to those tasks, I'm remaining in Christ. This whole thing's gone. He said, I know what I'm telling you because I'm doing the same thing with the Father. And then he finishes it with this verse. He says, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Overflowing joy is for us as we remain in Christ, attending to the good works he has prepared for us. Is this connecting? That he has chosen you and, you, and, and whatever your response may be, Jesus is saying your response should actually be eagerness. Because there is joy in you attending to the tasks that I've put before you as you remain in me. There's joy in this. Overflowing joy in this. There's life in me as you remain in me. So you have been chosen. You have been chosen. And then there's the second part of verse 16. I have appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. In other translations, fruit that remains. I like that better, actually. Fruit that remains. And this fruit can be broken down into two parts. Really the same thing, but I'm breaking down in two parts because throughout Scripture, it's kind of used in these two different ways. The one is to love people. Produce fruit that others can enjoy. Fruit that is good, right? We understand this is, this is the fruits of the Spirit kind of concept. I'm producing fruit in my life that others can enjoy, and now they're reaping the benefit of, uh, of, of Christ through me. And the second way fruit is used is to go make disciples. Go produce fruit. Be, be someone that is multiplying for the kingdom. Go make disciples. Because Jesus' love always points and leads to salvation. It always does. Now, these two things aren't really separate aims, but this is just the two different ways that we often see fruit come up in the Scripture. The point is this. Love always points people to Jesus and salvation, freedom, and life found in Him. So we're going to refer to both of those points, but here's kind of how I'm summing it up. Fruit is simply the outcrop of Jesus' love in your life. Fruit is the outcrop of Jesus' love in your life. When I am loving well as Jesus has commanded, people are enjoying the fruits of, of my life. I have the fruits of the Spirit that are being produced. And when I am loving well with the love that Christ has given me, I am taking part in this disciple-making process. Could be at the beginning of it, could be at any stage in it, but disciples are made when I am loving people well. This is the outcrop of Jesus' love in our lives, that we be people who love people and that we be people who are pointing people to Jesus. So this, go and produce lasting fruit, as in go love people well, invest in people, all people, lead them to the feet of Jesus, lead them to salvation, lead them to healing and truth, peace, wisdom, joy, and everything which is good. Go produce fruit. I've chosen you for this task. 
I have qualified you for this task. I'm going to give you everything you need for this task. You just need to go and do it. We are to see loving people as the primary endeavor of our lives. Loving people as a primary endeavor of our lives. As a way we give glory to God. Wasn't this what Jesus did? He came, died for us, seeing you as worth it, and in so doing, gave glory to the Father. This is what he did by loving you in his life, death, and resurrection. You see, Jesus would often, and this is the kind of love we're talking about, Jesus would often walk into a town, and it says he would become overcome with compassion for the people. What happened after that? He would, been, he would begin meeting the needs of the community in love, healing for them, provision for them, life for them, truth for them. And our lives should run into the same tension, the same tension that Jesus ran into. I'm on my way somewhere, but there's an opportunity to love. I'm going to attend to this. Because this is a primary endeavor of my life to love people well as Christ loves me. So my plans are derailed because I'm looking to glorify God by producing fruit that remains, by in putting investments in where my time is not wasted. Because our efforts are not wasted when we love people as Jesus loved people. Is why I think he calls it fruit that remains. Because if you live on this planet for, I don't know, a week, you know that fruit does not remain. It doesn't remain at all. One of the most annoying things in the world is seeing a fruit, thinking, oh man, this looks really good. Opening it up, oh, I mean, it doesn't look that great. Then biting into it, realize that is garbage. That should have been thrown away two days ago. Why? Because fruit, it has, it has a season. It comes and it goes. Jesus says, no, you're to be, one, you're to be trees that produce all of the time in any season. And two, your fruit is there to be for people to, to enjoy at all times. And three, when you invest my love into people, well, the outcrop of that is not wasted. It is always going to be a blessing in that person's life that always points and leads to salvation. This is God's economy, fruit that remains, long-lasting, lasting, and even, even multiplying what is produced. So we've been chosen to go and produce fruit. And then it says this, verse 16. I think sometimes we can get tripped up on this last part of verse 16. It says, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for in my name. Father will give you whatever you ask for in my name. When I was younger, I tested this verse as much as I could. I'd be laying in bed with the simple things. Lord, turn off that light switch. That's across the room so I don't have to get out of bed. Oh, I didn't get that. Or maybe I did. I got up and turned it off myself. Or we pray all these, you know, prayers that we're like, well, we look back on it. It's like, ah, maybe that was an incorrect prayer. 
We look back on it and think, oh, maybe that wasn't in line with what the Lord wants. And that's exactly what this verse is saying. It's one, it's an encouraging note to us. It's an encouraging note to our task. That if he chose you, that he is going to equip you to make an eternal impact on this world. He's the one that is going to do the equipping. So, we're not left alone, not left to our own power or will. All these things in which we have been assigned are seen to and tended to their end by the Father. Saying, I am, I am calling you to go love well, to, to, to produce fruit that remains. And we're like, this is, a, this is a high calling. And then he says, don't worry, I'm there every step of the way. I am going to see to this task. Because I, as the Father, always see to my plans and purposes to their end. So this is an encouraging note for us. That the accomplishment of this task doesn't solely rely on me. I'm just being called to be a part of it. And this is actually a little bit of a repeat of an earlier verse. In John 15, 7 and 8, it says this, But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And this brings great joy and brings great glory to my Father. If you remain in me, and I remain in you, then you'll ask and it'll be given. So to remain in Christ is to know the heart of God and to ask from that knowing of who the Father is, to ask correctly from who the Father is. It's to be in tune with His will, to be in tune with His heart and His desires, and to ask Him from that correct standing. What actually happens is we adopt the heart and the wants and the desires of the Father as our own. I put mine to the side and I adopt His. So now whatever I ask as I now have His desires in my heart are going to line up with who He is and He's going to answer that request. But it takes place from a correct relationship to God and His will. And reiterates that God sees to the finished product. He sees to it. He's not relying solely on any of us to see to the finished product. He's not relying on us to make sure that when his love is invested, that it, that it goes and blesses and multiplies. He takes care of all of that. He's asking us to take part in his will, in faithful obedience. I see it like this. There's a river, and planted next to that river is a tree. And that tree produces tons and tons and tons of fruit because it's next to the river. And the river is supplying all it needs. And then someone walks up to that tree and picks the fruit from that tree and enjoys the fruit. But both that person that enjoys the fruit and the tree are thankful to the river. God's saying this, I am supplying you and... I am supplying the people that I'm calling you to bless. I'm doing all of the work here. You just remain in me. And I'm going to provide you all that is necessary for you to continue to do this work. We're called to be good stewards. You know what a good steward does? 
Anybody got a quick definition of a good steward? No. I know. Everyone hates it when the pastor puts someone on, on, on the spot from the pulpit. Because all all, we're all wondering, well, what, how about you give us your definition? Okay, here's mine. Good stewards handle the resources of another or handle the resources of the owner as the owner themselves would. Seeing to the work of the owner as diligently as the owner themselves. This is a steward what the Lord has given you well. He has given you the love of Christ in your life. Life abundant. We're called to go and pour that into others just as Christ is doing. How many of us are thankful for that in our lives? Amen? I'm thankful for that. And now we get to be thankful that we get to be a part of that same process that we are thankful for. God pouring into me and now me getting to pour that same love into someone else as God directs. So I'm going to end with this. I have three quick points. Three quick points. And these are just quick tips. Some quick tips for loving people well. I think these are things that it's, it's appropriate on Mother's Day to just tie it to mothers. If you look at any mother in your life, you're like, man, I'm so blessed for this mom in my life. This is what they're doing. One, be present. It seems so simple, but be present. Look at Jesus. He is present. Even present in your life before you knew him, he was present, chasing after you, pursuing you. He was present. I can look back in my life before Christ and see the moments where he was popping up. Even today, he still reveals to me as I reflect on my past, he says, see, I was there. You didn't even know it, and I was there. I was present. I was loving you in those moments. This is the core of what it means to go and make disciples, to show others Jesus. Be present in other people's life and point them to Jesus. But being present doesn't just have to be to a physical presence, but can also manifest in prayer. Because in prayer, I'm interceding in a person's life before God, petitioning blessing for their life, petitioning that the Lord would intervene in that person's life. I'm inserting myself into that person's life saying, God, come into this situation. Be present, both physical and from a distance in prayer. So be present and speak life. Speak life. Proverbs 18.21 says this, the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. I want to say this, let your, let your voice be the number one encouragement and fan in someone else's life. Just go and be someone's number one fan. You know, um, when I first started connecting with other youth pastors in the area, the one piece of advice that I can look back now and say, damn, that was the most crucial, was go and just be their number one fan. Go and just speak Speak life into them. Go do that. Love them in this way. Because you know what a fan does? A fan cheers on. And the desire the best for whatever or whoever they're cheering. But they do this. They're a literal fan into the flames of that person's life. A literal fan into the flames of that person's life. 
What a kind word does in someone's life is more than words can explain. And I'm saying that because I, I, I'm a words of affirmation guy. Talk about people's love language. Words of affirmation are, for, are me. I, that, that's how to encourage and, and move me. Someone can say one kind thing, one encouraging thing to me, and it can change my whole day. It can change my whole demeanor, that way of loving me. This is the love of Jesus. Because the love of Jesus comes in whatever form and changes everything. This is the power of our tongue, to speak death or life. So he's saying, go invest into people. Go speak life into the lives of others. Number three, we're being present, we're speaking life. I think this is a thing that all mothers just nod excessively to sacrifice. Sacrifice. Love will always require sacrifice. Love cannot happen without sacrifice. Investing in others will always require sacrifice. It's me putting what I have into the arena. And I may not even see or recognize the impacts of those efforts, but Jesus promises it is not wasted. Amen? So let's do that. Worship team, you guys can jump up. Let's do that. Answering this call to produce fruit that remains because we're chosen by a God who has not chosen wrong and equips us to go and love people, invest in the people, pour our life that has been given to us from Christ into another life. God is glorified in our relentless pursuit of people by obeying and trusting in him. He's glorified in this. As we go this week, here's what I want us to just consider. Just remember the people around you, physically and those that, aren't, that, that just come to mind. And ask the Lord, how am I to love these people? Because these people are the greatest investment opportunity I have. This is how we produce fruit that remains, pouring into their lives. So Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have first loved us. We thank you, Lord, that you have chosen us for this task to produce fruit that remains because we know this, that you are going to be faithful to your choosing by continually equipping us and providing for us and guiding us. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be a part of your plans, which you see to the end. Lord, show us how to love well this week. We see your love as the chief example. We thank you, Father, for it. The Lord, allow us to worship you well one last time this morning together as a body. In Jesus' name, amen.